Podcast. This is Mark Steiner. And on our lead up to the Annapolis Summit, as you know, with our partners, The Daily Record, uh, they produce the stories in print. We produce the conversations for podcast uh, as we explore the subjects that people will be wrestling with during this upcoming General Assembly session. And of course, we want all of you to join us on January the 10th uh, in Annapolis at the Calvert House for our live conversation with the governor, the president of the Senate, the Speaker of the House. You can be part of that. Ask your questions. In a minute, we'll tell you how to get there. Uh, but first, we get into our subject for today's podcast, which is the budget, which is always, um, for some, ears and eyes glaze over. For others, they realize the intensity of this and what it really means. There are structural deficits to deal with. There's a Kerwin commission coming out. Uh, there are decisions made in Washington, how they affect Maryland. And to help us wade through that, we are here with Repu- uh, Senator Andrew Serafini, who is a Republican, 2nd District in Washington County, uh, and Senator Bill Ferguson, a Democrat, District 46 in Baltimore City. They're both members of the Budget and Taxation Committee. And, Senators, welcome. Good to have you both with us. Glad to be here. Thanks so much, Mark. Great to be with you. So let's just begin. And, and Andrew, we'll start with you and then go to Bill. Um, and the what do you let me, I want to hear what both of you think are the glaring issues you'll be wrestling with, wrestling with on the Budget and Taxation Committee. Andrew? Yeah, I think it's the uh, continued idea that uh, uh, you know the economy itself has only grown about 2% over the last eight years GDP, and our economy, our revenues have mirrored that at maybe only two or three, maybe four, but our spending has been at five or six. So uh, that's where you talk about that structural deficit. We've got to get that in line. We've got to say if revenues are only going to come in at an extra three or 4%, then maybe we should only budget at least to spend three or four they come in higher, great. Let's fight it out where that money goes, but let's not every year have to wrestle with where we're we going to cut money from. I think that's an ongoing issue that I'd hope we'd resolve soon. And Bill Ferguson, your perspective on that? Yeah, I, I would say that um, coming into the session, I think the, the, the biggest, larger, or the, the most looming question is the impact of the, the federal tax bill and what that will do to Maryland's budget. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time to figure out the impacts of, you know, the, the change in deductions and um, the the cuts for um, the corporate tax and uh, the federal corporate tax and um, the impact on Marylanders. Uh, Maryland, as a state, is is that one of the highest states per capita for line item deductions, and so um, changing how that functions, there's a pass through to the state that I think we're really going to have to wrestle with this year and figure out what the long and short-term consequences are. Um, I'd also say, um, you know, something that's on the horizon is with the Affordable Care Act um, repeal, the mandate, uh, uh, the tax penalty um, for um, the Affordable Care Act is going to have an impact on the insurance markets. I suspect that will have uh, an impact on the cost of health care for Marylanders, and that's something we're going to have to address to see either are we going to backfill and cover folks or cover some of the escalating costs, or are we going to make it more expensive for Marylanders to have health care, uh, which, you know, I, I hope that's that's not the case. Uh, and then lastly, I'd say I think we're really having to face a, a revenue question around whether our system is effectively capturing um, the revenues that it used to, the tools that we have in place, namely the sales tax, which has really seen some major underperformance despite personal income rising uh around 5%, the, the sales tax is only increasing at about 2%, and people aren't saving more. So uh, for, for some reason, they're spending 
percentage is staying the same, but the revenue is 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 not. So those are the big questions. So there's a lot here. here. There's a lot here. So let's yeah. let, let me raise a couple of specific issues here, and see how the two of you would address them. Um, and let me pick up on what you just what you ended up with, Bill Ferguson and Andrew Serafini. What what you also talked about, which is uh, spending. You said was at five or six percent. Uh, while the economy growth was only a two percent, and you just said, Bill Ferguson, um, that that we're facing a, a problem with revenue coming into the state because of the way we capture revenue. So let, let's talk about that long-term picture first, very quickly, and then come back into some specifics about what we may be facing uh, in the, within the next year. I remember when the sales tax was being debated some years back, um, and one of the debates was what is going to be. Uh, what industries should be taxed. And a lot of industries were left off the table. Industries, as some people would argue, on the Democratic side of the table especially, could help boost revenue for the state. Uh, but their lobbying efforts got them off. Um, and, uh, and some thought they shouldn't be taxed at all. So let's talk about that. Are we, what are we missing? Are we missing something? Or do we need to think about this in a very different way? So, Bill, let me let you start, and Andrew, then we'll let you jump in. And please, just feel free to go back and forth as, as you feel. Um, but but let, let's talk a bit about that. I mean, what what is missing out of the sales tax? Should more industries be taxed? And Which is an anathema to many people in business and many people on the Republican side. Sure. I would say, you know, before before looking at, at um, expanding the, the services that would be included in the sales and use tax, um, I would say that the nature of our economy has changed and how people are buying their goods has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, uh, to a degree, uh, people refer to the Amazon decision to remit sales tax to the state for goods purchased online at Amazon's, um, uh, on Amazon's website. That was seen as a windfall. You know, really, that's just what the sales tax was always supposed to do, when, but people bought it in the state at a Main Street store. Um, right now, there are a number of online sellers that do not um, do not remit sales tax to the state, even though it is Marylanders in Maryland buying a good. Uh, so, as as uh, shopping, and we've seen it over the holiday season, has shifted to online, that's had a dramatic impact on the sales tax uh, for the state of Maryland because a lot of these retailers that don't have a presence in the state, uh, a warehouse in the state, or some nexus. Uh, are sort of avoiding and evading the sales tax that our Main Street businesses have to pay. So, and what's yeah, your ta- I, Andrew, go ahead, please, jump in. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think the issue is here, people have a choice. If you go back to the Laffer curve, you know, there's two sides of our revenue that are the biggest. It's the income tax and the, and the sales tax. You know, I have a section in my district that's only 13 miles wide. People can go into Pennsylvania or West Virginia quite easily, and shoppers can and will do that. You got to keep in mind too. There's been a separation between Wall Street and Main Street. Wages haven't increased. That's been the whole lagging part of our economy. You know, businesses have made more money, things have recovered, but wages still haven't. And I think that's coming. That's why part of the tax package is try to put more money in consumers' pockets because our economy is driven 70% by consumer spending. So I think people have a choice. I really think that the problem, as uh, Senator Ferguson said is uh, we're going to look at this tax package, and it shines a light that we are a fairly high tax base. And uh, this is now going to hurt high-income people when they lose that sales, uh, uh, excuse me, the deduction of state and local taxes. And, you know, we've seen by the charts how money walks. Uh, High-net-worth people can move. You know, when we're 
a relatively small state. You know, 20 of our counties are contiguous to other states. You know, people make decisions. They might work in our state, but they don't always live here. So you know, I do think, as uh, Bill said, it's shining the light on some strategies and issues uh, that there are consequences to how we uh, impact our our citizens and people that do business in our state. So I think the income tax is one that that is going to be an interesting conversation because now it's going to be, you know, uh, the the, the wealthy are paying a higher tax. And that's been the criticism of Republicans all along, both favoring them. But, you know, in those, in Montgomery County and Howard County, when you've got high network people that do deduct this bill, said a lot of people, you know, and, and I attended a conference at the White House and they said, the biggest complaint is people feel like somebody's getting a better deal than them. And they were trying to be, and I don't think it ended up that way completely now, saying federal should be as fair as possible to the guy in New Jersey, to the person in Wyoming. Let the states decide and be the laboratories of how taxes change. And, and I think that, as, as once again Senator Ferguson said, we are a high-tax state. We think that sometimes as a Republican, you know, that's why the estate tax repeal was a big deal for us. People move. They can High net worth people have houses in different states. They can and, and do move. And same thing with sales. I can go by myself over in West Virginia or Pennsylvania quite easily. You know, people can go to Delaware quite frequently. We need to think about that, make sure we're competitive uh, because money does walk if we're not careful. Hmm. Yeah. I, and, Bill, please pick and, up and, on you know, that. This is something that um, Andy and I have talked about a lot that, um, you know, one of the challenges with the state, uh, you, we often approach the tax question. Um, around singular issues, and I think what what all of us know that do do work with with uh, budgeting and revenues on the public sector side, um, the most efficient tax system and the simplest tax system is often the best tax system. Uh, we have a very complicated uh, state tax uh, program. I mean, it's it's not necessarily as complicated as some other states, but um, when you look at our sales and use tax, it's pretty complicated, uh, and. That is exacerbated by the changing, again, the changing nature of our society. If you look at, take for instance, 10 years ago, people would go and buy an album or a CD at um, at Best Buy. Well, now instead they're paying, and they would pay sales tax on that CD purchase. So you pay $10 and you pay your 6% sales tax. Now people are paying $10 a month to Spotify or Google right. Play Music, and right. that service is not taxed. And so the 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 spending is the same, but the tax remission is not, and I think that's what we're seeing in this this change in the revenue collection. I think there's a a, a, a broader conversation, and uh, to his credit, Andy has pushed this um, this conversation of how do we look at a broadly applied flatter ta- a broadly applied tax that in theory you know could potentially bring in more by including more more things uh, or different goods and services and potentially lower the rates. Right. That's the idea, Mark, and that's the problem. You know, I can, we can absolve no tax for anybody under $30,000 because we really don't get much from them with earned income. Just don't even file. No tax in the state of Maryland. And then everybody else, we could be at three, three and a half, four at most. Everybody's flat. It's proportional. But boy, when you bring that up and that's, and Bill says it to Democrats or Republicans, well, wait a minute, I got my favorite credit or tax break. No, everybody's treated the same. Nobody gets that special treatment. And that's a problem. You know, Bill and I agree. I think everybody agrees. Make it proportional. You make more, you pay more on a percentage basis, not this, you know, and, and, and we can get there. We can be revenue neutral at three and a half state tax 
with no tax on people under $30,000, but no exemption. And and that works. So are you both on the same, are you on the same page with that too, Bill? Yeah, I mean, I think there are, I, I, I favor a little bit more progressivity in the tax. So um, I, I, I like a flattening. Uh, I think that there is there is room to, to tinker uh, around uh, the progressivity of a tax uh, tax system that is flatter at the end of the day. Um, but and, and that's on the income tax side. I would say on the sales tax side, I think there's an opportunity to um, even out the playing field for some of our Main Street businesses that are selling goods. Uh, you know, here in Baltimore on Eastern Ave, really struggling to get these small okay. these small um, Maryland-owned businesses to to be able to compete with the Amazons of the world or the Ebays of the world. If if the online these large online retailers aren't remitting the tax, Main Street already, you know, has a 6% markup. And that's just a, it's unfair competition. And if we found a way to kind of rethink how our sales and use tax worked, it might even allow us the opportunity to lower the rate uh, while still bringing in um, the same or more revenue to the state. So taxation is a very complex issue. We all know that. Um, but one of the things that, that people on the wealthier end uh, get to, to keep that people that other people do not have to do with the fact that investments on things are never taxed. Um, and that makes it – some people think that's part of the inequality. Others think that we should have more of a flat tax that makes it equal, that it doesn't take into account the other income that doesn't happen from, your, from, a, from a wage income. So how does that play into that if we're going to design – Kind of a more equitable tax system, uh, and Seraphine, okay. let me let you start with that. I mean, is there is there an inequity built and into I'm, that? I'm going to ask you for a clarification on when you say things that aren't taxed. What I'm saying is that if you look at kind of how, how people pay taxes, um, that right. most of us pay taxes on what on our jobs and what our wages are, wages, right. salary, tips, etc. Um, okay. Right, and but for, for, for so you're talking about the Buffett rule, the, yeah, the Buffett rule where capital gains rates are paid at a lower rate than ordinary income tax. Right, and, and then dividends, investments, right. and things like that are not sure. taxed, and yeah. people think that's an inequity. Yeah. Do you, is that an is that yeah. in, an inequity from your perspective? Yeah. Well, and this is an interesting thing because taxes do impact behavior. We've added a, a tax on cigarettes a lot. Why? We want to create a disincentive. Right. Right. Uh, Kennedy lowered rates to try to have money come in. Obama lowered the payroll tax to try to. So why do we not tax capital gains and stuff like that? Because that's the juice that drives our economy as, as small businesses have access to money. So that's the thought process, whether we agree or not. You should know. And I haven't seen the final final. But, you know, the problem with Buffett is he could trade his stocks, you know, and make profits and then only pay 15% where his secretary paid more. The one provision was going to change that, where you had to hold it for three years to get the lower rate. So it's not. That wasn't intended for short-term traders. I think if they if that carried through, that would be a good, and that would level the playing field, as you're saying, Mark. You know, in, in, in Europe, you have what you call consumption tax, right? Value-added tax, VAT tax. So they only say, hey, if you save, we want to incent that. It's only as you consume. you got to keep in mind, we got to pay for roads. We got to pay for schools. We got to pay for that. Every state has to do it. It's just figuring out what's the most efficient and fair. And as Bill's saying, and I agree, and we've got to be flexible to change as the economy changes. And you're right. This idea that wealthy people get uh, escapes from everything, uh, yes and no. But I do think the idea of the Buffett rule uh, being amended that says 
we want to incent investments, but not speculative. If you invest in a company and hold it for three years or more, maybe that's good. That that's the once again that's the gas that drives the engine of our economy. But traders and and these are the hedge fund managers and stuff. Maybe not, and I'm okay with that. I agree with that that idea that you try to level it. But we also want to know, recognize what drives our, our economy, and uh, you know, if they drive things and drive business, you know, then in the end, we can get wages more in the, in people's pockets if we can have companies to succeed. You know, all the ones tens of thousands we lost in the Great Recession, we got to have them to create the jobs. So that's the fine balance, and I think that's the that's where Bill and I sit next to each other. And, I love working with him. I really do. And despite what people want to think, he's a bright guy, and we learn a lot from each other. So we, we picked two people, and they actually sit next to each other. That's interesting. I like that. So <laughs> very, very true. No, I, you know, and that's the beauty of Annapolis. I think people are really tired of kind of the divisiveness of politics and, and what gets kind of reported in the in the in the mainstream. I think you know, at the end of the day, in Maryland, we have a constitutional requirement that we pass a balanced budget, and I think that forces all of us Republicans, Democrats, from all sort of um, spectrum of the political uh, of the political spectrum, um, we have to come to compromise to get to a balanced budget, and I think that actually is a is a beneficial part of our process. Um, in terms of the inequity, Mark, on the uh, for how different income is treated, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, one of the challenges I think for a state is that you know investment income and um, you know some advisory income. These are very fluid businesses that can set up an LLC in a different state um, and partner and, and, and create sort of the, in some cases, the legal fictions in other states to avoid a single state's taxation. And that's why it's just really difficult at a state level to deal with this problem. Um, you know, we generally treat income as ordinary income a- across the board in Maryland, uh, other than the, our specific corporate tax. And so, you know, if we had a, a, a different mechanism for, for treating how income is earned differently, it does create an incentive for those types of shops to set up across the river or across, uh, across a state line and avoid state taxation altogether. So, you know, there is – that is always the challenge and balance that I think that we're trying to weigh in, in Maryland is, you know, how do we remain competitive? We're a very wealthy state. Um, but we do have we do have very savvy tax professionals and um, investment advisors that that their job is to um, you know pursue tax avoidance strategies for their customers. And so um, you know that's something we just have to be realistic and mindful about as a state, um, which is different than than the federal government. So before we run out of time together here on this podcast, let, let me let me tackle some of the issues that you will be dealing with directly. Um, which, with, with keeping in mind the, the structural deficit that's going to balloon in the next three or four years here, but by the early 20s, um, I think to $1.2 billion in 2022, if, I rem- if I'm correct about that. Um, and the Kerwin Commission coming back this year with their recommendations, which people argue could um, ask for billions of dollars more in education spending around the state of Maryland to deal with inequities and other, and other issues as well. So, I, I, so where, so where do you two begin to wrestle with that on this on the budget and taxation committee? Um, it's clearly going to be glaring. Uh, there, you know, there there are other issues of public safety money, other money that has to be invested as well. So, so where, where does this go, Andy? I mean, where 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 do you where do you start this conversation? Well, I think when I first came here and I was on the education subcommittee over in the House and the Ways and Means years ago, we never said we would tell 
uh, schools how to run their schools or policy issues. That's changed. The federal government is telling schools how to do it. The state is. My daughter, my daughter-in-law are teachers. My wife is. I trust them. we got to get all the rules and regulations. And frankly, if we say we're spending more money, but I'm not sure our outcome is always better. And, and I'm not criticizing. It's just we're asking a lot of our schools. I would argue the breakdown of the family and schools are having to raise these kids. So I'm not sure money is always the better idea. I think we need to look for efficiencies. I think, you know, Bill came up with his idea that we call EDCO. I think we're still educating students for jobs 100 years ago. Uh, I think we need to really look at what the jobs of the future are going to be, to be innovative. I think we should in school construction. I was on the not commission that's kind of running the same time as Kerwin. But we've got to be innovative. I don't know that we need more money. And, I, you know, we need to pay our teachers. But I think we need to be innovative. And, and the stuff that teachers are doing in the classroom that collects data and really doesn't move the needle for that student, I think we just need to remove. I think we've got to find a way to let teachers teach come up underneath them. They're connecting to this customer, which is the student, and, and trust them, train them, work with them, mentor them with best teachers that can encourage them. We just got to get the legislators and, and the think tanks out of their classroom and let them teach. And I don't. I think we could do that more efficiently, maybe even less expensively with better outcomes. I think that's where we need to focus. So, so Bill, I think what you're hearing uh, Andy talk about here is something that would be an anathema to people in Baltimore, Prince George's, Montgomery, for for different reasons, though, in each right. jurisdiction. So I, I, so how do you reach a bridge here? You, I, I believe that, that um, Andy and I and a number of our colleagues want the same thing. I think all of us are unsatisfied with the outcomes that we are that we are seeing across the state of Maryland, and, and that's not in the highest need, not only in the highest need jurisdictions, but also in our higher income jurisdictions. You know, Maryland right now is in, uh, 23rd in reading and 23rd in math. We were the only state in the country to have dropped innate outcomes in both reading and math between 2013 and 2015. When you wealth equalize um, and compare like students across the country on NAEP, Maryland's education outcomes, uh, we fall from 23rd down to 37th in, in the country. Um, you know, that's not something that, that we should take lightly, uh, particularly where we look at the United States as compared to some of our industrialized competitors. Um, you know, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 32 to 37, depending on the assessment. So we have some major gains to make, and we have enormous opportunities. Um, is it all about money? Absolutely not. Is it uh, uh, partially about money? From my perspective, yes. Um, I think the Kerwin Commission provides us a vehicle to really rethink what education means in the 21st century in Maryland. It gives us this opportunity to set a new vision and then you know, make the tough choices to hold all kids to high expectations and give them the supports they need to be successful. Um, it, when you look at expanding early childhood education, just the idea of expanding the number of seats, that just requires more money. So I think um, at the end of the day, a budget is about values. And from my perspective and from what I've seen growing up as a Marylander, um, you know, Marylanders understand the importance and value of education. And I think as we look towards the next session and the next term, you know, we really have to make some difficult choices about how we prioritize our budget. I believe the best dollars we can spend are those that are around a new vision for public education in Maryland that invests in all families and gives them the wraparound services and supports they need for their kids to have a better future than than the parents. Um, I think it's possible. We've seen other states do it. Um, it's going to take kind of a grand compromise. 
but it's all not it, or all of it's not necessarily new money. I do think there are things that we can do in the state, particularly around the services that are performed in other agencies where there are line items going to other agencies, but it's not aligned to educational outcomes. So if we really take instead of saying education does this and health department does this and social services does this, and we step back and we say, wait a second, how do we just create a department of effective and thriving families? We could start to rethink some of the allocations that we have that would be an increase towards education in the broad sense, um, but you know, are, are more aligned to a coherent vision about ensuring that families can thrive by having their kids really maximize their potential. So you all are really great with each other and very polite, and I love this. But to hear that across the aisle, which I think is important for us all to hear. But the issues clearly are, are there, and, 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 and that that what the two of you just articulated just now is, in in a way, a, a divide over where we spend the money and how we spend it. So the question is, and it, and it goes to a real debate and discussion the state has to have with itself over the next year with this current commission, which is going to change if you tie that to what's happening with the with the with the new uh, tax tax bill that came out of Congress and the White House, uh, if you look at our structural deficit, I mean, there's a lot for us to wrestle with here. Um, so I, I want to just, if you could both be just, as we close out here, it would be a slightly prescient and talk a bit about where you think we're going to end up, given the politics of our state. Andy? All right, sure. Uh, so number one, thank you for the opportunity today, and I'm glad you picked up. I have tremendous uh, respect for uh, Senator Ferguson. And we don't always agree, and that's healthy. If we did, one of us would be needed, and it might be me. So I'm glad <laughs> a little bit now, Billy Graham's wife used to disagree with him. People couldn't believe it. She said, if I don't, he doesn't need me. So anyhow, uh, I do think uh, I'm looking for efficiencies. I don't think it's always more money. I do agree with Bill that we've got to be targeted and smart, and it's always that sacred thing that we can't not do anymore. You know, and we can't, we've got to get past that. We can't be, you know, as a book once said, prison guards of, of the past. We need to be pioneers of the future. And I, But I don't think the answer is always more money. You know, we have developmentally disabled. We have a terrible opioid crisis. You know, we, we are, our revenues off our housing don't pay for the debt service on our, on our bonds, which means schools need to be built differently. Our pension system finishes 100 out of 100, and that costs us billions of years in performance. And Medicaid sooner or later is going to change, and it's going to be a problem. So if there is any windfall to the state, although the governor has proposed to try to hold as many people harmless as possible, the idea that let's just expand and do other things. We've got issues now that we need to address. We've got to live within our means because when you spend as much or more and don't have any margin, that next crisis that comes, if Medicaid doesn't you know, get funded to the level that it has, how are we going to respond to that? We need, to, we need to understand that those challenges are there, be more efficient with what's going on, and prioritize and recognize we can't do everything. I argue that our families, and as a person, a Christian, I say our churches and faith-based community, from our synagogues and across, need to step up and do some of these things to supplement what Bill has said. But we need to build the families, and we need to work with them to thrive. There are other NGOs and other groups that need to step up. It's not always the state isn't always the best group to do it, and we ought to partner and line ourselves, as Bill said, on the future for our kids. I think there's a way to do it, but it's not always just the government is always the solution. Sometimes it's the problem, I would argue. Bill Ferguson. Yeah, thank you, Mark, and, and thanks, Andy, um, for the conversation. I, I, you know, I think we are in a really pivotal um, generational uh, moment 
where we are facing a rapidly changing economy that is becoming ever more skilled. Um, I think we're, there are a lot of families who are looking forward and are scared uh, about what the future holds because things are moving faster and faster and becoming more and more uncertain. Um, for me, what I think that means is we, is we have to really, in Maryland, have a conversation about what are our core values and what do we believe government uh, can have the biggest impact on. I think there's things like public health, public education, safety of communities, uh, protecting our environment. You know, these core values that we know uh, are the reason that government exists. And if we can focus on those core values and align our, our, our investments and our public resources around those core functions that we know government does incredibly well, that's where we get the biggest return. Um, and in some cases, we do, have to, we do have to find places where we say this is not where government needs to be in the 21st century. We need to double down on another area. And so um, what we need across the state, um, regardless of party or politics, is we need a clear vision for what Maryland state government will offer its people uh, over the next decade. Uh, who are we as a people? What do we believe in together? And where can we invest um, as one state to, to maximize uh, our future in an ever more competitive world. Um, I believe that's, that's through public education, largely. I, I think that's the fundamental bedrock of a thriving democracy uh, that leads to a healthy economy. And so uh, that's, that's where I think there's this enormous opportunity with the Kerwin Commission and, and how it wraps in all the other services. But, um, you know, we really are living in a very unique moment. And uh, it, the decisions we make over the next couple of years are going to have decades of impact, uh, and now is the time to really hone in on where we can have uh, a real uh, a real mark on the future. I want to thank you both. This has been a really interesting conversation. Uh, I look forward to talking to you over the next few months uh, in Annapolis as well. As we lead up to the summit, you just heard the voice of Senator Bill Ferguson, Democrat representing the 45th, 46th District excuse me, here in Baltimore City, where we broadcast from, and Senator Andrew Serafini, who represents the 2nd District as a Republican, uh, and he's a senator from Washington County. And gentlemen, thank you both so much for being with us. Look forward to continuing these conversations. Thank you. Merry thank Christmas, you so happy much. holidays, and happy New happy Year. Holidays. Same to you all. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Take care. So for more of that, join us at the Annapolis Summit. Just go to thedailyrecord.com slash Annapolis dash summit and hit purchase tickets and join us there January the 10th from 7.30 to 10 a.m. at the Governor Calvert House, your chance to talk directly to Governor Larry Hogan, Senate President Mike Miller, and House Speaker Michael Bush. Be part of your future. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This program was produced and edited by Calvin Perry with assistance from our intern, Nora Belbidia. You can download the podcast and more at steinershow.org and on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for The Mark Steiner Show. And please let us know what you think. Write me at mark at steinershow.org. We'll be back in a couple more days with a brand new podcast.